This is Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to it. You've got Nalt and Steinberg and Logo with you on Hockey Central this afternoon. Show's ending, our afternoon block ending a little earlier today. We're wrapping at 5. Full coverage of the Blue Jays and Rays 507 first pitch from Rogers Center this afternoon. Looking forward to the Jays as uh, they continue their push. They woke up today in sole possession of the number one wildcard spot in the American League. Lots on the Jays as the afternoon goes along. Big show starts at 2. Jays and Rays just after 5. Right now, though, it's Hockey Central at noon. And right now, we kick it off by saying hello to Lou. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Hello, Lou. Happy uh, Tuesday, my friend. How are you? Uh, Happy uh, Tuesday to everybody. Logan, it's been a pleasure the last week. And Patty uh, had a nice chat this morning. Nice to reconnect. And uh, Mr. Nault, well, you're just one of the best. So... It's uh, delightful to have you on the uh, program today. Happy to be here, pal. And uh, yeah. I know you guys talked a lot about rookies yesterday. And, Pat, we're, we're diving in, continuing on the blue line today. As I understand it, Lou, uh, Jan Kuznetsov is in uh, focus for you today. He, well, he is in focus for me. And he will be in focus for me come Thursday when we're at the rink, which is a nice... Uh, sound and can't wait to be back watching hockey with my own two eyes again in person um you know kuznetsov will really intrigues me six foot four 215 pounds played for russia at the world junior i'm sure will be uh, slated to do that again he's only 19 years of age he's been in north america for a while a couple years uh at the university of connecticut last year um or Earlier this year, I shouldn't say that, last season, played six games to get his feet wet um, in Stockton, which is where I'm sure he will be found this season, along with uh, his Russian friends at Christmas time. Uh, and I think he's one of the guys that we're going to watch shortly that has a chance to be an NHL player. And uh, so that's one of the reasons that I'm excited about watching him uh, going forward, he uh, he's he's interesting to me because I I haven't you, you see so little of a guy when he is selected at a college and when uh, he got selected. I remember Will and I were doing draft coverage in the boardroom upstairs, and you're like, okay, so you, you don't know a lot about him, but then you get your first opportunity to see him on a little bit more of a of a world stage, and and some of the things that uh, you you were told. You're like, okay, I, I see some of those things, but you still don't know until you see him. And, uh, you know, the skating surprised me. And, yeah, all, all of a sudden he went from a guy I didn't know a whole lot about to all of a sudden this guy, there, there's there's a lot of potential. So you you uh, you really see uh, NHL hockey in the future for him, hey? I do. I think it's going to take some time. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's going to happen now or even next year. Um, but But I do. I mean, he's a second-round pick. Um, you know, he's already played in, in one world event. And I think that's always significant when you think of the country that he comes from. Uh, he's got great size. And even going back, my first viewing, guys, was in the championship final on television of the World Junior A Challenge. And um, I just, 
I, I don't watch a lot of modern day young defensemen and go defensively. It looks like that part comes pretty easy. You know, this isn't a guy who's going to, you know, overwhelm you with his offensive skills. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, I see him as a potential top four, number four, second pairing, hard to play against type player. So, yeah, he's he's intriguing. I It's funny, um, and I'm not sure if you guys disagree or, or agree, but most of the time when we talk about young defensemen, and good for good reason, we're talking about offensive instincts. This guy seems like he's ahead of the curve defensively, right. and I like that. Well, that's uh, for so many young defensemen, that's maybe the thing that takes the longest to come around. It, it, it right? does. It does. There's absolutely no question. Your ability to be able to defend people at the National Hockey League level is the most difficult part of playing that position. And it has been for a long time. It's going to continue to be. And, you know, I, I probably see the game a little different than some. But I do know this, gents, and, and Will, I don't think you disagree on this either. Your ability to shut down elite-level people is the difference most of the time between winning and losing. Yep. Yep. No doubt about it. And, and, and very rarely do you get guys like you know Robin Regeer or, or Carl Alsner are just two guys that come to mind right away. Yes, As, as guys that, that, that came into the league and, and defensively they were put in that situation where they were shutting down elite-level talent right from the get-go. But it doesn't usually go like that for a 21- or 22-year-old defenseman. No, and he's only 19, and yeah. I think that's the part. So, you know, for people just tuning in, this is a project. It's going to take some time. I'm not saying he's going to come and blow us away at this camp. I just, when I think about prospects and guys that I'm excited about who I think could be a part of your future down the road, and remember, you know, on defense is one area I think we're probably the most excited about in some respects with this group as a whole, yeah. not the rookie or the prospects, but I mean, you know, at the big level. Yeah. Peter Labardius is with us as Hockey Central's underway this afternoon on Sportsnet 960, the fan. And, you know, I, I think that, yeah, to, to expect Kuznetsov to uh, make the big roster this year, no, that would be unrealistic. But to be excited about him and to have an eye on him at this prospects camp, this rookie camp, and in the two rookie games that we're going to be watching on Saturday and Monday, I'm completely with you. But it, it does transition into an interesting conversation about the blue line this year and what might be open on this blue line because eight players will enter camp on the blue line with one-way contracts including Yusuf Alamaki and including Connor Mackey the addition of Eric Branson and the re-signing of Michael Stone adds to those one-way contracts as well where where do you see or do you see an opening for a guy like Mackey this year even knowing he's on a one-way contract? Sure, I see an opening. Um, but that opening will have to be earned. Um, my guess is it doesn't happen overnight, but I do. I, I think there's an opportunity for, some for someone like him to be sure. Uh, you know, and I think the other thing, eight guys, and they can't all play, and generally you carry 
seven. But remember, and I know you guys are more than well aware, and so is the whole world, A, you can never have enough NHL-ready defensemen who can play. And, and because of one word, gents, COVID, uh, I still think it's really, really important. And, and we just don't know what's going to happen. And it, it's also a team that I think, as this season goes on, um, could be in a position maybe to go in some different directions. Let, let's face it, and I know you guys have talked about it. There's some big things that either get done or don't get done. This is a big year for this team in a lot of different ways because of, as of right now, um, you know, we're not talking about a youth movement here. We're talking about more veterans and trying to grab a playoff spot and, and see where we go from there. So, um, you know, Pat, I've talked about this. Well, I've talked about this. You know, there's lots of guys on the defense that are intriguing. But if, if you're looking for two guys, not necessarily head-to-head, but would you not say that there's competition between Mackey and Valimaki? Yep. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's 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 funny. I talked to, to Connor when he signed his contract on the show, and, and the one thing we, we talked about, because you hear this all the time with, with young players, and that's, you know, spending time around pros, it's it's – Sometimes I think loss in the shuffle that when he was signed out of Minnesota State, he didn't play, but he was in the Edmonton bubble. He spent a lot of time with this team mm-hmm. this season, and it's pretty clear the organization values Connor Mackey, and every opportunity is going to be there for him. And like you said, he's got to take advantage of it. But, Lou, I guess just for a young player who you know really hadn't been a pro until a, a year ago – you know, he talked about it, and, and I don't think it can be stated enough that, you know, how valuable it is for him to be spending as much time as he did, even though he only got in six games, he pretty much has almost a year of being on an NHL team because he spent so much time around this club. Well, I agree. And, well, I think what's also really important for a player coming out of college or coming out of junior is he didn't have any pro experience. Yeah prior to what you just documented. That's really, really important, both as a player and a person, to go through that and to experience it. And, you know, he had ups and downs and highs and lows, but he was used in every situation in Stockton, lots and lots of minutes, lots of different situations. Um, You know, it was nice to see him score a goal at the end of the year with the Flames. He went to the World Championships. That's another experience to be around, you know, some good competition. So absolutely, it this this takes time. And if, you know, Pat asked me, well, right off the top about, well, how do you earn your way? I'll tell you how you earn your way. You become a very reliable, trustworthy, know what you're going to get from a person day in and day out. Yeah. And when you think about this coach, you know, the other advantage for everybody is there's no secrets. You know what you're dealing with, and you know what it's going to take. Now, can you go out and execute and do it? Very small sample. Only played the six games, and I was joking with him about a pandemic season. Five of those six games against the Vancouver Canucks. And he's like, yeah, it'll be nice to see some other teams <laughs> when I get that opportunity. But in those six games, Lou, what, what did you see from Connor Mackey? 
Well, I like how he skates. He's got an edge to him. A matter of fact, um, you know, he not only walked the line, but he crossed the line at times, as you both know, penalty-wise. Um, there's, there's some poise there. Skating for me, well, is probably right at the top. Now, where I think the next step for him is, and I've, you know, not only assessed it myself, but I've, you know, talked to the people who spend a lot of time around Stockton and, you know, the player personnel people. Now it's about being more assertive in the right times, not just physically, but, you know, making plays when they're there. Um, you know, this game is so much about half second, where your stick is positioned. Like, it is so finite, the difference a lot of nights between being successful. So when I've watched him, there is a lot there to work with. There really is. And I think that, you know, Pat, I think you'd agree. I mean, that was pretty evident even in the bubble. For sure. To get ready to go to Edmonton. there, there There's lots there. But being more assertive, trusting himself, just, again, reps, reps. The interesting thing on on the Mackie front is, so he is, for this season, he is waiver exempt. So he, he can go to the American League because of time served and how, uh, how much he's played pro hockey. He can go to the American League without needing waivers. Nobody else of those eight one-way defensemen can do that. So it wouldn't surprise me if maybe he does start in the American League. But as we all know, Injuries happen, and we all know things open up. I was telling the story yesterday, Lou, about uh, TJ Brody, and if it, and, and I know you remember, but the, he he made the team out of camp that first year, and was that really mm-hmm. nice story. He lasted a little bit, went back, and then the following year did not make the team out of camp. Started the year in the American League, and it wasn't until Anton Babchuk got hurt that he mm-hmm. got called up in November and never looked back. And so I I, I don't. If Mackey does not start the year on the NHL roster, I, I don't necessarily mean think that it means that, oh, well, he's not playing in the NHL this year. It, it could very well be a very temporary thing if that's the case. Well, we just talked about reps, right? Yeah. And a guy, and a guy who doesn't even have a full season of pro hockey at any level under his belt needs to play. Yep. You know, that that is really, really important. They signed him, you know, for two years. There's defensemen in this group, whether it's Zadorov, whether it's Goodbranson, whether it's Stone, who are signed for one. So, you know, in the world, and it's how we look at the world, and, and the TJ Brody example, Pat, is a great one. It truly is. For young defensemen, it takes time. And I've seen lots of situations, you know, look, look at Yusuf Alamaki for a perfect example. You know, you can come up and play well and you're feeling good about yourself and everything can go well. But the truth is it takes time. And that road for most young players, it's never smooth. It really isn't. It really is not. No doubt. And I, I just, as as we're having this conversation, I'm just going through the different permutations that you could see on the blue line and, the way it the way it is with the eight guys they have right now, what what really shapes up well is that we're talking about four right shots and four, four left, left shots. shots. 
It does. Like it, it would not surprise me if you know maybe Good Branson and Stone. They maybe they don't play eighty two each, but maybe they cycle in at different times on the right side, and you know maybe it does take a little time for Mackey to get in. Maybe come November he's playing on a more regular basis, and Valamaki moves up because it's just, it's interesting to see well the the different permutations yeah. you could see on the back. The thing for me is exactly what you just talked about because at the end of the day it's it's a business, right? And and with Mackey being the only guy waiver exempt, unfortunately he is the outside guy, but. To your point, and, and Lou, you've talked about it. I think the greatest X factor is COVID. Uh, certainly injuries will happen. Uh, they happen mm-hmm. to every, every team. And we know how important it is to have the depth. So all those things are valid. And I think, you know, even if Mackey starts the year in Stockton, I don't think that's going to be a massive surprise because I think we can all agree that there's probably a potential he does play, I wouldn't say a significant chunk, barring injury, but... He will play some games at some point. I, I just think when it's a business and you've got waivers, uh, as I said to, to Pat last week, uh, Lou, Valamaki's not a guy you're going to sque- squeak through waivers. And, and <laughs> unfortunately, you know, at the end of the day, teams value that and, and, and use it as a business. And, and as a result, if you're going to carry seven, you know, Mackey's the odd guy out. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the number seven because the number seven matters. A Michael Stone, for an example, is probably a perfect seven. Yeah, it's about Connor as good as you can get. Yeah. Connor Mackey is not a seven. He needs to play. Yeah. Same with Val so Mackey. He, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you think about building your group and who's going to play where, you have to think about, obviously, and I'll use it, slotting. Um, you have to think about experience. You have to think about business. You know, all of it. And... You know, who knows how things are going to go injury-wise? Who's going to play well together? Who isn't? Um, And guys are probably going to have stretches where, like I said earlier, it goes great, and then maybe it doesn't go so well. And and then there's the other keyword, matchups. Well, against some teams, you know, you might feel a little more content with two young guys in your third pairing some nights. Maybe other games you won't. Yep. So, you know, and, and the other thing about this back end now is is besides the left and right, you, you have some you have some grit. <laughs> you know, you, you can say like you can either be a Zadorov fan or not a Zadorov fan, and he's as intriguing a guy to me on this defense as anybody. Mm-hmm. He really is. Where it goes. Um but he is no fun to play against. And, and Good Branson, you know, asked Dylan Dubé about his first eight seconds in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. you know, it's, it's a different built defense that way, too. We, uh, we, when the rookie roster came out yesterday, I know that you and uh, you, you yesterday dove in on some of the other names, Zeri, Pelche. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, Will and I had the conversation yesterday about, you know, are there are there any spots open for whether it be those two guys, whether it be a Glenn Godden or an Adam Rizichka who are not on this rookie roster and and you know are have now kind of graduated to that next level of prospect in the organization? And 
you know, I kind of made the case for, I can see a world where this happens, or I can see a world where this, this, and this, and this player is on the opening day roster. But, you know, with with Pitlick in, and Lewis in, and Richardson in, and Coleman in, it, it definitely is going to be an uphill climb for guys like a, a Pelche or a Zeri or a Godin yeah. or a Rizicka. It, and, and And whether you like that or not like that, we know that this head coach is a guy that has historically throughout his entire Hall of Fame career leaned on veterans. And for this season, I think just calling a uh, calling a fact a fact, it's going to be harder for those guys to earn playing time, especially right off the bat. Well, I think the situation you're in is is right now, you know, we're talking about young people who have an opportunity to be part of the future. But, you know, Pat, the conversation for me isn't much different even in this scenario as it is when we talk about, you know, junior hockey and when guys should go back and when they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Go to the NHL when you're ready. You know, like we're all in a hurry. And you know what? Would it be great to have, you know, a top five pick type talent that there was just no way you couldn't find a spot for him? And who knows, maybe one of those two guys might be those guys. Maybe Adam Ruzichka is that guy. You know, you know, Glenn's, I think we've got a pretty good idea about Glenn Godden and, and where he might fit. But, you know, I wish, and it's on tape somewhere, but one thing about Daryl, and, and I don't discount this ever, if you're going to have a regular spot in the NHL, you're going to earn it. Yep. And you're going to be better like in his world, and I get it in a lot of ways because I believe in it. You're not getting the spot for free. If you can, if you can upseed somebody, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Yep. But do you get more of the benefit of the doubt if you've done it for a long time? For sure. You do. Yep. And I think, I think you should. Now, I think you should with the way this team is structured. That's different. And why it's different is, you know, we're not talking about a team that made a bunch of off-season moves and has said, okay, it's time to kind of retool or rebuild. That They haven't done that, have they? No. No, they definitely haven't. Final, uh, final point, and it's, it kind of goes right into that. Uh, last week, Will and I talked about, you know, how important a bounce back year is for Rasmus Anderson. And then the obvious one is a bounce back year for Matthew Kachuk. But I was listening to uh, Jacob Markstrom on the Flames podcast, the Firestarter with Parks and uh, Ryan Dietrich. And, and, you know, he talked pretty at length about how upset he was about his season last year, how much of a chip on his shoulder the team has coming into this year, and specifically the chip on the shoulder that he has coming into this year. What uh, what are your expectations for Jacob Markstrom, knowing that he's a guy that was not happy with the way things went in his first year? Well, I think there was a transition for him, um, you know, between the injury and he had to fight through some difficult weeks and some difficult weeks, you know, frankly, after Daryl took over the team. Um, Pat, I, I'm such a big fan of this player because I just think he gives you so much and more than just saves like way more. I think he's a culture piece. I I think he hates losing. I I think he's one of those guys that he's constantly 
challenging himself every day to be better. I, I love this guy. And and so are my expectations high for him? Absolutely. But as you heard on that podcast, could you have higher expectations for himself than he does? Not a chance. Nope, no chance. That's him. He owns it. He tells the truth. He wants to be the best. He works as hard as anybody on the team at his craft. You can't give me enough guys like him. You just can't. Yep. Uh, all right, my friend. Well, we've got Jay's baseball tomorrow afternoon. So uh, they're I'm, pretty hot. They're doing all right. Hey, they. Uh, <laughs> if only they could hit the ball. Man, the only the only person that's dined out more than them this summer is me. <laughs> I, was gonna, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, if you get one that you just weren't expecting, that was well done, Lou. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Have a good have a good afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, pal. Okay. Bye, guys. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering air miles reward miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Peter Lubardius, every day to kick off Hockey Central at 1 o'clock right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, we have to start getting used to the old Pacific Division. The LA Kings are division rivals of the Flames once again this year, and they're trying to get themselves back in the postseason this year. Next on Hockey Central, Sports That 960, The Fan. Hockey Central continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Alongside Will Nault, my name is Pat Steinberg. Happy Tuesday. You've got uh, the the Duo of dummies on Hockey Central today. Just came up with that on the fly. Pretty good. It's um, usually hosted by Einstein and what's his name? Pinky, so. Pinky and the Brain usually do uh, Hockey Central. Today it's the duo of dummies. Will and Pat. Uh, we're here because uh, we're only going to five. Jays Rays. 507 first pitch in its entirety here on Sportsnet 960. The fans. So in, in this city... It's kind of like you're you're getting used to the way it used to be because we got really used to the division being with all the Canadian teams in Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal part of this division, Winnipeg's in the division, and now we're going back to normal. And now we're going back to the LA Kings as a divisional rival of the Calgary Flames. And uh, as we take you on a tour through the Pacific Division, uh, we welcome in our good friend John Hoven from Mayor's Manor to uh, help us take a little bit of a closer look at the new old division rival, the Kings. Mr. Hoven, it's Pat Steinberg and Will Nault. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. Yes, let's get back to it. Some old Smythe Division rivals. It's about time. Well, welcome back to the Pacific. It, we, it we feels did miss right you. again. We did miss you. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I, I, I was tired of seeing those uh, those other teams last year. You know, we appreciated being back for the 56-game season and, and having hockey and whatnot, but uh, it's going to be great to have the fans back in the buildings, and uh, it'll be great to renew some of those rivalries. And, and as you said, I think Calgary and, and L.A. have something brewing. Do you get the sense from who you speak to with this Kings team? Because we talk a lot here about, well, the good thing for the Flames and a really positive thing for them getting back to the playoffs is that they're playing in a fairly mediocre division. Do you get the sense that the Kings are looking at this division as really wide open and a good chance for them to get back to the postseason? 
Well, I think what you said is true. It, it is a mediocre division. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I wouldn't say necessarily that people connected to the Kings are pointing to that as the reason why they think that, you know, they uh, should be in contention for a playoff spot. They might be thinking it, but really what they're, what they're talking about and what they're more focused on um, is the improvements that the team has made. They, they think that they really made some significant improvements in going out and adding Edler, a veteran defenseman to the group, somebody that they think is going to provide better balance to their, their three uh, defensive pairs. And then probably more important to that, they, they were in, really insistent upon going out over the summer and getting two, uh, you know, top nine, middle six, if you will, forwards, uh, one a center and one a winger. And so by adding to know, they, they really like the fact that that's going to take some pressure off of their younger centers, guys like Gabe Velarde, guys like Quentin Byfield, uh, and, you know, adding uh, in Arvidsson from, from Nashville, a player that they think should be able to play up on the top line with Kopitar, uh, which is, you know, going to potentially provide some more offensive punch to a team that really needs more goals. And so they think that on paper, the team is much more improved than where they were a year ago. And uh, they think that, the, you know, all the talk about a rebuild is kind of behind them. And from this point forward, it should be an ascension okay. uh, each and every year over the next couple of years. Well, and, and I know there's I've, – I've read a number of different articles about and, – and, and talked to different people with the Kings. And, and you know, you've got Anze Kopitar still signed on a big deal and 34 years old. You've got Drew Doughty still signed for a number of years and a big deal, 31 years old. And it's kind of like if, if you're going to have those guys and if you're going to stick with Kopitar and Doughty going forward – there's really no point in rebuilding, right? You might as well try to get the most out of them while they're still there. If you're going to rebuild, you'd probably start to look at moving away from those two guys, would you not? Well, it's an interesting comment because they did have to rebuild. They did have to tear it down. And uh, where most teams during a rebuild, you know, sort of painting with a broad brush here, most teams would look to get rid of all of the older, more expensive Mm -hmm. talent. The Kings kind of went a different route. They looked at their middle talent when you talk about from an age distribution perspective, and they said, hey, it's that middle talent that's probably going to give us the greatest return from an asset perspective. And so trading away Tyler Toffoli and Jake Muzzin and guys like that, that's where they're going to be able to get some, some key assets, get some first-round picks back, get some, some second-round picks, get some prospects, the Tyler Madden uh, deal what they made with Vancouver uh, that would strengthen you know, an already strong prospect pool with yet another potential forward who has good bloodlines with his father, of course, being a former Stanley Cup uh, champion with the New Jersey Devils. So they, they, they went that route, and they felt that building around the core four, as they called them, which would have been quick, Brown, Kopitar, and Dowdy, they felt that that was the way to go. Now, the challenge that it created for them is that over the last two or three years, as they tore it down, they ended up with uh, an age distribution that was at the far ends of each spectrum. You had the older veteran players that were, you know, let's call them 35-ish, And then on the far other end of the spectrum was the remainder of the roster, the really young kids. And so that, again, was one of the reasons that they did what they did over the summer is they needed to fill in that middle. So guys like uh, Alex Iafala, who they signed as an unrestricted free agent coming out of college, he sort of had earned his place there in the middle. Guys like Matt Roy, seventh-round defenseman, he had earned his place there in the middle. But adding a Deneau and adding an Ardvitsen, it gives them – uh, more players in that sort of middle age group, guys that they can grow with over the next couple of years, and that eventually you will see some of their younger prospects, Turcotte, Byfield, Kaliev, et cetera, probably right. even leapfrog those guys into you know more important roles. Uh, but for for the time being, for the short term, they needed players that could do it now. Uh, you know, for for as great as Turcotte, et cetera, might be, 
Um, they're a couple years away from really making significant impacts in the National Hockey League. So they needed players that could allow them to win games this season, and that's what they feel that they have in Deneau and Arvidsson. That being said, the list might only be the one guy, but, but John, how do you view the chances of, of Quentin Byfield being on this team in October? I, I, I would say coming out of the gate, his chances aren't very good. And the reason I say that has nothing to do with his particular skill level or where he's at from a development standpoint. It just is a numbers crunch. And this is where sometimes I think that fans get overly excited and just think about individual players, just like they do with trades. And they're not really looking at the bigger picture. You only have 23 guys on, on the roster. And when you look at the number of contracts that the Kings already have, they're probably going to have to put anywhere from three to five players um, on waivers to prepare for the opening night roster. So they're, you're potentially giving away some free assets. Now, you know, we could have a whole hour-long debate about, well, you know, isn't that really a good thing maybe if those some of those players did get picked up on waivers because it allows uh, them to free themselves from a contract and things like that. Sure, th- that is true, but you don't want to lose all of those players because th- those are your depth players that you're going – when they don't get claimed, those are your depth players that are going to be down in the American League. And if you have injuries – or any sort of other thing that happens throughout the season, you need to call on those players to bring them up. You don't want to be forced into a situation where you're calling up, you know, a a 19 or 20 year old kid, a first year pro, someone who doesn't have experience and try to thrust them into a more important role. So it's a very delicate balance. And so from that standpoint, you don't need Quentin Byfield on the opening night roster. It's great if he is. uh, And if he earned that spot in camp, but the, the kind of safer play would be to let him start the year in the American League. He's a very, very young player. So people want to talk about the fact that he was drafted second overall. The key to it is his age and his experience level. He's still growing into his body. He's still learning how to be a professional. He doesn't even have a full year of professional hockey under his belt. He would have been in the Ontario Hockey League last year. Uh, and he would have been even in the Ontario Hockey League this year had it not been for the special rules of the pandemic, much like we saw with Kaliev. So long-winded answer to tell you that it'll be great and fans will be excited if 55 is on the opening night roster, but I have him penciled in starting the year in the American League in Ontario, and if he has a strong first couple of months, you could see Byfield force his way into the NHL in the second half of the season, um, but I don't think that's the plan on opening night. He's John Hoven, Mayor's Manor, all things LA Kings here on Sportsnet 9, 60 The Fan. Uh, the big, I guess, acquisition up front, obviously, was Arvidsson via trade, but Philip Deneau signs a big contract with the LA Kings and the big talking point, at least in Canada has been okay with the signed. That's going to open up paths for Kopitar to be back to, you know, maybe more of an offensive role and not so focused on the defensive side. Do you see the same thing? And, and if so, is that a great thing for Kopitar now at 34 to really just kind of get back to that offensive game that you, you know, we all know he has. Well, the first thing that I would say has, has a Calgary tie in and that would say, if Daryl Sutter was still the head coach in Los Angeles, I don't think that would happen because I think <laughs> Daryl would be too tempted to still play Kopitar 40 sure. minutes a night, all in defensive responsibilities, just because that's the type of guy that Daryl is. But, uh, you know, jokes aside, I do think that there is a path for that, and I think that they have the blueprint to do it. Dustin Brown, last season, they moved uh, him away from some of those defensive responsibilities, and that allowed him to open up and free things up offensively. Hell, he led the team in goals last year, and he missed the final seven or eight games of the regular season. So I think they're at, they, if they follow that blueprint with Ante Kopitar, you now have a player in Deneau who is defensively responsible, who the coach 
should be able to gain trust in very quickly during training camp and feel comfortable ratcheting back some of those defensive minutes. And it's just a reality. It's not a knock on Kopitar. It, you know, father time, uh, he, he does not play favorites. So every player at some point as they get older needs to shift. They need to change, uh, you know, the way they train, the way they approach the game, and also the way that they play and how they're utilized in the game. So I think there are so many benefits to the Deneau signing. Not only what I mentioned earlier about freeing up some of the pressure put on Byfield or Velarde to hurry up and become the 2C, but also to allow Kopitar, as you said, to focus a little bit more on the offensive game and open him up just a little bit. And the last point I'll just say on Deneau is that people, I know people like to bang on the contract and say that the Kings overpaid. I would say two things. Number one, when you're a team that has had the lack of success that LA has had on the ice over the last couple of years, you do have to overpay. The Kings had to overpay to get Rob Scuderi. He ultimately helped them win the Stanley Cup. So I'm not saying Deneau will do that, but that's what you have to do when you are where the Kings are in sort of their you know, development process, and they have the money they could afford to do it, in fact, because of the Byfield contract. The Byfield contract is going to be for the next a minimum of three. It could be four years. If he plays less than 10 games this year in the NHL, it'll slide four years then at the league minimum of under a million dollars. And so you kind of look at it like a goaltending tandem in terms of what is your total goaltending cost on, on the cap. Look at the Deneau contract for the next three years alongside the Byfield contract, that's why you can afford to pay to know that money because you have QB at under a million for three plus years. Where, where are we on Drew Doughty now at the age of 31? There's been plenty made on social media about Doughty's decline, but you saw him for 56 last year and uh, you watch him closer than anyone, John. At, at this stage, at the age of 31, where is Drew Doughty now in his career? What, uh, what is he now in his career? I will gladly argue this point with anybody all day long and twice on Sunday. Drew Doughty is still an elite defenseman in the National Hockey League. You can show me all the advanced statistics and analytics and everything else. And, and all of that, I, to me, it's not a justification or rationalizing, but there is context that's important. The LA Kings have not been a very good team for the last couple of years. And Drew Doughty's interest level, like most elite players, is somewhat going to be tied to what's going on around him. There's been a lot of change. That's something that Drew has probably not been very comfortable with. There's been change behind the bench. He was very close with Daryl Sutter. And I've always said Drew was one of the few players that really thrived under that um, you know, you know, tough love approach. I would even argue that Drew needs that type of tough love, second father figure type of approach uh, as a player. And so he's had to go through a, a, a tremendous amount of change. And then there's been the rotation among who his partners have been, et cetera. And now that the stability is coming in there, now that the trust is there with Coach Todd McClellan, now that they've added in some, some additional players and the team is expected to be better, there isn't a doubt in my mind. Uh, I, I could name the players that I would want as the first pair defenseman if I was a general manager in the NHL on one hand and probably have fingers left over. Uh, that I would absolutely have to have, and Drew Doughty is in that. And for people who think that I might be crazy in saying that, I would just say that you're not paying close attention enough to the type of player that Drew Doughty is. He is the ultimate competitor. He is fueled fueled by the, the desire to be great and the hatred and, and all that stuff, uh, the, the haters, uh, the chirping, it motivates Drew Doughty. And it motivated Drew Doughty to me, even at his age and the number of games that he's played in the NHL, it's still very scary. He wants to do three things before his career is over. He wants to play for the Canadian Olympic team, and he's going to do everything he can to be there. Uh, he wants to win another Norris Trophy, and he wants to win another Stanley Cup. And I don't think that uh, there's any reason to believe that Drew Doughty won't achieve all three of those goals before he wraps up his career 
at some point many, many years from now. There is no question that Jonathan Quick is a legend with the L.A. Kings as he was a huge part of those Stanley Cup victories. But now now where he is in his career, John, a guy who's played a lot of hockey, we saw it last year. Todd McClellan went to Peterson more than he did Jonathan Quick. How do you view this goaltending tandem heading into an 82-game schedule with a lot of back-to-backs with the Olympic break uh, slated in there in February? Yeah, it's like the elephant in the room that most fans and most people don't really want to talk about. And you just gave away the secret that most people don't know because they don't look at the numbers. And that is that Cal Peterson actually played more games than Jonathan Quick last year. So people love to ask me, is it going to be a 50-50 split this year? Who's going to play more games? It's like, guys, just look back at what happened last year. Cal Peterson has become the number one goaltender for the LA Kings. And you're going to see in the contract extension that they're going to sign him to uh, here probably pretty shortly, you're going to see that he's going to be paid as one. He's going to be the number one guy in Los Angeles. He was anointed as the next one, really from the day they signed him as a UFA coming out of college at Notre Dame. So Cal Peterson is the future. In terms of Jonathan Quick, I find it to be a very interesting case because while I wouldn't say he still has as much game left in him uh, as maybe a Drew Doughty, I do believe that Jonathan Quick could be a starter on another team and still could carry a team deep into the playoffs and go on another cup run. I've been very surprised that a team like Colorado, to be honest with you, hasn't taken a deeper look or didn't take a deeper look. They've obviously moved on now. But I think Jonathan Quick would, would have been uh, somebody that a team like that who really needed a highly competitive, a warrior, a go-to goaltender. And you can look at the injuries and you could say, oh, there are some question marks. There are no, no doubt about it. There are some question marks. Can he handle the load? But I think in the proper tandem, in the proper uh, situation where you could spell him a little bit more, I think that Jonathan Quick would be more valuable to a competing team than he will be to play, let's say, 40% of the games in Los Angeles. Now, that being said, the Kings are in no hurry to get rid of Jonathan Quick. He's on a favorable contract from a cap perspective and where they are with the cap uh, for the next two years. He's under contract this year and next year. His number 32 will go to the Raptors at some day. He is a legend in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and, you know, he's one of the core four that I mentioned earlier. So I don't think the Kings will be trading, uh, trading him anytime soon. Uh, that, that opportunity to do that probably reached its peak a couple of years ago. And at this point, he now will be the, you know, if you want to call him 1B or you want to call him number two, he will be the other goaltender in Los Angeles along with Cal Peterson. And, and uh, believe me when I say Cal could do a lot worse than having Jonathan Quick as his goaltending uh, partner to learn from and, and to learn under here uh, over the next two seasons. Speaking of legends in L.A., you uh, mentioned it off the top of this interview. Daryl Sutter is now the head coach of, of the Calgary Flames. Back in the division, we're going to get back to traveling across the Canada-U.S. border. Um, I, I would sure, I'm, I'm sure a lot of King fans, speaking of legends at the Staples Center, uh, a lot of Kings fans would like to see Chris Sutter back with uh, Daryl at some point this season. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, sign me up right now to have Chris Sutter back at every single game. Uh, you know, Daryl might be better in Calgary, but we'll take Chris Sutter back in LA at any point. Uh, you know, the, it's a funny thing. The, the fans love Daryl, uh, and yet, yet the media kind of grew tired there over the, you know, at, at, towards the end of his run here in Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm sure some of the players did as well. He likes to go to the whip like every game is game seven. And, you know, 82 is a long, a long season. But, uh, yeah, we, we miss and love Chris Sutter. He, he's just such a funny guy. Always great to see him. And, uh, you know, he has such a great memory. And there'll be times where I haven't seen him for a long period of time, run into him in an elevator, and, you know, he's always the first one to say hi and how you doing. And he remembers the last time he saw you, and uh, he'll, he'll tell you a funny story or whatnot. So it'll be great to see Chris back. And, you know, I think that the ovation for Daryl when he comes back to Los Angeles is going to be pretty tremendous because mm. 
when all is said and done, forget about the antics and the post-game media scrums and, and all that stuff and, and, you know, leaving L.A. When all is said and done, he is a true legend in L.A. He took over a team, yeah. uh, you know, in December, a team that was, that was somewhat floundering at the time that had been rumored to be or thought to be a contender for the division and really hadn't gotten off to a great start. And he, he put that team together over the next couple of months and pushed all the right buttons and took them to that improbable cup run in 2012 and did it again in 2014. And people will forever, because of that, love Daryl Sutter. And I would say he's probably one of the people that uh, I get asked the most questions about, uh, even to this day, about, you know, uh, boy, I wish Sutter was still the coach, or, you know, why did he ever have to leave? I mean, (laughs) people still love Daryl Sutter, and so it'll be great to hear him get the recognition that he deserves when he comes back with Calgary this year. One last one to wrap it up, John, and and I just it, it's a loaded one, but it may not be the longest answer because I, I honestly don't know where this stands. Uh, is Jack Eichel still a possibility for the LA Kings at some point in the next number of weeks or months? Yeah, is this the point where I hang up early, or we're going to keep <laughs> going here? Yeah, um, Jack Eichel has become the new uh, persona non grata. Uh, I, I put a ban on talking about Kovalchuk uh, <laughs> at one point on the podcast and in radio interviews, just because it became, it became ridiculous to have to answer Kovalchuk questions over and over again. And uh, in terms of Jack Eichel, look, yeah, you know, the rumors just continue to, to circulate because people need something to talk about, I guess. So it'll be one of the more intriguing things once the season gets started to kind of put that topic behind us and, and, and move, yeah. move on. Um, is there interest? Would there be interest? Look, the parameters of the deal are going to have to change so dramatically uh, for LA to re-engage in that. And when they do, if that does happen, I should say, I think that there will be other teams that are willing to offer more. I think there's a much better fit for him potentially in Anaheim than there would be in LA. Uh, you know, would the Kings be interested? Look, if there's a lot of ifs connected to that. If Jack Eichel is healthy, he absolutely is a solid addition. And you could do a lot worse than going Kopitar, Eichel, and Deneau down the middle. Uh, at the same time, there are so many ifs. The ifs of the health is just one thing. Um, you know, his demeanor, his attitude, his approach, his relationship with his, with his teammates and how would he fit into a locker room that's going to have a lot of young players in it over the next couple of years and their character uh, of those players, you know, is going to be groomed by guys like Kopitar and Brown and Dowdy, guys have, have historically been pretty high character guys. How does Jack mix into all of that? And then you have the contract as well. I mean, look, if the Kings were willing to call Buffalo right now and offer four first-round draft picks as a hypothetical to get him, they can't even afford him because they couldn't keep him. Uh, they they couldn't fit him under the cap right, right now. The Kings would have to shed about seven and a half to eight million dollars in cap space just to get him. So it, there are so many pieces to this puzzle that make it highly improbable. I think that ship has pretty much sailed. When the Kings went out and made the trade for Deneau, and when they made the trade for Arvidsson, or excuse me, when they made the trade for Arvidsson, when they signed uh, uh, Deneau as a free agent, that's kind of the direction that they're going in. And um, the Kings do have too many prospects. Uh, they're, they're flush with prospects. They will be trading some of those assets away, more likely to get a defenseman or a high-scoring winger at this point than I think to add Jack Eichel. And like I said, uh, if you're in Southern California and you're, and you're going to buy a Jack Eichel jersey, uh, it, it might have a D on the front of it because he might be playing in Anaheim long before he plays in L.A. See, that was much better than you just hanging up on us. I appreciated that answer. That was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, John. Good stuff as always. Awesome to catch up. Welcome back to the Pacific Division. Looking forward to some Flames and Kings games this year. 
Anytime, boys. Always good talking to you, and uh, look forward to keeping up throughout the rest of the season. Absolutely. John Holvin from Mayor's Manor in L.A. on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. Come watch the football game and enjoy our game day specials open for dining. And as always, take out Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Some news and notes to wrap Hockey Central next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Just a couple of, uh, that was Will yelling at me, he's furious. A couple news and notes to wrap up the hour. Tyler Bozak's back in St. Louis. They got him at one year and $750,000. Last year, he only played 31 games, 17 points in 31 games. He was on pace for 45 points over 82. They got him for 750. It's pretty solid. Uh, it's a pretty solid deal for Tyler Bozak. I can still play. He's still a pretty effective kind of middle six center iceman. So I like that deal for St. Louis. And, and realistically, uh, they probably won't ask him to do much more than fourth line role. Exactly. If they can, if they can get him at like thirty points this year, which I think is very realistic, for seven fifty, you'll take that all day if you're the Blues. By the way, we talked about significant RFAs yesterday. Yeah, they've got Robert Thomas left and seven hundred thousand dollars in cap space. Yeah, that's uh, that is a little bit more. Ah, it might be a problem. Dude has turned into a big time part of that team over the last couple guy. of years. Really good player. Uh, and this is uh, this is I think significant news. We don't spend a lot of time on it, but uh, we're hearing more and more about NHL teams being a hundred percent vaccinated. Eric Francis of Sportsnet reporting the Calgary Flames are one of them. So the Flames, Toronto Maple Leafs. Carolina Hurricanes have all uh, been confirmed or reported as 100% vaccinated, which uh, I think is good news. I think it's a good example and also will be good for them as they go through the season. Well, I was going to ask you that. There was a lot, you know, talking point, I guess, in the NFL training camps about a competitive advantage. Do you see the same thing in the NHL? Like, is it a massive gap between teams that are 100% vaccinated and those that are maybe 80% vaccinated? Well, if, if like knowing the rules as we do, if, if some sort of outbreak happens, then yeah, it is. Cause all of a sudden you're not getting dinged and the penalties are less harsh, all that type of stuff. I think, I think it absolutely could be a, a competitive advantage when it's all well, said and done. And the big thing in, in terms of the NFL was everybody being in meeting rooms together and, and not having to do meetings over zoom. Exactly. That's probably the same thing in the NHL. Like if you don't have, to have your power play meeting over zoom, it's a big, it's a big I, win. I went through I went through yesterday the entire protocol. Uh, I read about like all 16 pages and the differences for vaccinated and unvaccinated players. It's a it's a different world. Like they have to socially distance and they have to be six feet apart from all their teammates. I mean, there there is real incentive for for this to happen. Logo, did you know that Pat was hanging out with Ryan Pike last night? Or? <laughs> yeah, we're just we I was had just a party. Say, he can just read for, through the entire um, went for beers and referendum. And the protocols yeah. and nope. go through all the COVID protocols, but he can't make himself lunch in the morning. He's got our pocket protectors, and uh, we're ready to oh, rock and roll. A, a low block there. What it was? Sorry, I was. I he was, said that you have time to read the protocols, but not time to make lunch. I did forget. I did. Ma- I made lunch. Beating. I made lunch yesterday, logo. I just forgot to bring it. Because I'm a dummy. Uh, we're live on location Thursday. I told you, is the duo of dummies, or maybe just the one dummy. Uh, we're live on location Thursday. Self-deprecation's back at its finest. 100%. You're not supposed to, eh, but I, I I can't help it. Prittis Greens Golf and Country Club on Thursday for the Calgary Flames Alumni Masters Golf Tournament. All proceeds to Cerebral Policy Kids and Families. More on that with Dana Merzen later on in the show. Some really poor timing 
all on my part uh, when we come back. The big show in Wouldn't two minutes. Wouldn't be Hockey minutes. Central without big show starting I had, at I had to keep the tradition That's going. Right. The big show starts with another good day to be a Jays fan. Monday night football craziness, Stampeders news, and a whole lot more. Big show in two on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.